0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the InDesigner, the podcast that provides information, instruction, and insight for designers using and learning Adobe InDesign. I'm your host, Michael Murphy, graphic designer and Adobe certified expert in InDesign CS2. This is episode 25, To Track or Not to Track. This time out, I'm going to talk about paragraphs. Not paragraph styles, but about type at the paragraph level, including all of the options that, when you take the time to set them appropriately, will make the difference between amateurish and professional-looking type. Now right up front, I have to make a confession. In the past, I fell in with the wrong type of page layout application. I think you know the one I mean. And I abused tracking, casually at first, but then it became a habit. Eventually, tracking type became my only way of getting through a layout. Sure, I tried to keep it below minus 1.5, but there were days where nothing short of minus 3 would do it for me. But I'm off it now. I'm admitting I have a problem, and I'm kicking the tracking habit. There are other, much better ways to control your type than tracking, which just tightens or loosens your type. If you want true control over the appearance of your paragraphs, you need to fine-tune your hyphenation settings, justification settings, including word spacing, letter spacing, and glyph scaling, and another fantastic but almost hidden feature unique to InDesign, optical margin alignment. We're going to take a look at how all of these impact the look of your paragraphs. Here are two frames filled with identical placeholder text. No adjustments have been made to improve the look of these paragraphs. I'm using justified text because the settings I'm going to apply are much more obvious with justified text. The frame labeled Example 1 is going to be our benchmark for unformatted text, and I'm going to fine-tune Example 2 so we can compare them. Keep in mind this is body copy, so these are going to be relatively subtle changes, but whether it's a few paragraphs or hundreds of pages, these settings make all the difference. First I'll select all of the text in Example 2 and call up the Paragraph palette using Command-Option-T or Control-Alt-T on the PC. From the flyout menu, I select Justification to open the Justification dialog box. Here, I have settings for word spacing and letter spacing, which are pretty self-explanatory, as well as glyph scaling, which I'll explain in a moment. For each of these, I can set a minimum, desired, or maximum value. For justified text, all three are extremely important, but the desired word and letter spacing values apply no matter what alignment scheme you use, so you need to set that properly here. Since I have preview checked, you'll see my changes applied behind the dialog box as I make them. Starting with word spacing, I think 80% of the built-in spacing for this font is a bit too close, so I'll increase this minimum value to 85, which means that my words will never get closer than 85% of their default spacing. Every font has its own built-in spacing settings, so 85% for this typeface will look different than 85% for another. For desired, you would think 100 would be the right way to go, but I find that most typefaces could stand a little adjustment, so I'm going to bring that down to 95. And the default value of 133 for maximum, meaning how far apart words can be spaced, is way too high. I'm going to bring this down significantly to 105. Moving on to letter spacing, I'm going to make very minor adjustments here. I'll set my minimum value to minus three percent, my desired value to minus one percent, and my maximum to two percent. Now we come to glyph scaling. This is basically the same as horizontally scaling your type, which is generally a very, very bad idea. But in the context of justifying type, and used very sparingly, this can go a long way to improving the look of your paragraphs. As with everything else, it depends on the typeface you're using. I'm going to enter very small values that will be nearly imperceptible if they get applied in the justification of this text, a minimum width of 98%, a desired width of 100%, and a maximum width of 101%. The auto-letting setting does not apply to the text I have selected, and I'm going to keep the default full justify for single word justification. The default Composer option is Adobe Paragraph Composer, one of the key features of InDesign's typographic power. If you select Adobe Single Line Composer, you're basically handling justification the way Quark Express does, looking only at how to balance a single line rather than making justification decisions based on how it affects the entire paragraph. It's a good idea to stay with this default for just about everything, especially justified paragraphs. Let's take a look at this modified example compared to the unadjusted one. What we're striving for here is good typographic color. The spacing shouldn't draw attention to itself, and blocks of text like this should have an overall even tone of gray to them. The time-honored way to evaluate typographic color is to squint or unfocus your vision as you look at the type. I'll save you the trouble and do that for you here on the screen. Notice how much more consistent example 2 on the right is compared to example 1 on the left, which has pronounced gaps in it. The eye tends to be drawn toward these spacing gaps in paragraphs, so minimizing them is always the goal. At first glance, there doesn't appear to be a whole lot of difference between the two examples. The most pronounced change is in the second paragraph. Notice how different the line breaks are and how open the word spacing is on this line in example one compared to the same line in example two. But a closer look at each example shows it a bit better you can see that the word spacing in Example 1 is greater than in Example 2. That's the default 133% maximum compared to the 105 setting applied in Example 2. And the letter spacing adjustments we made contribute to this as well. But we're not done yet. There are hyphenation settings to apply that will also contribute to how good or bad our paragraphs are going to look. Selecting my text in example 2 again and bringing back the paragraph palette, I'll select hyphenation from the flyout menu this time to change and apply hyphenation settings. In flush left text or under other circumstances, I might want hyphenation turned off, but good hyphenation really helps out justified text, so I want to make sure hyphenation is checked for this example. Most of my settings will be a matter of personal preference, based on my experience, so you should always evaluate how hyphenation is going to impact both the typographic color of your text and how readable it makes it for the audience. I'm not a big fan of very short words being hyphenated, or of words that hyphenate before or after only two letters. So I'm going to make sure that only words with at least six letters get hyphenated, and only then after the first three letters in the word, or before the last three letters in the word. It's a subtle change, but subtlety is what this is all about. Hyphen limit essentially means how many consecutive lines can end with hyphenated words. I don't know about you, but I hate seeing two lines in a row that end in hyphens, especially in justified text because the hyphens optically change the shape of the right edge of the column. So I limit my hyphens to one, so I'll never have two lines in a row that end with hyphenated words. And now we are about to enter the hyphenation zone. Sounds mysterious, doesn't it? It was mysterious enough for me that I had to go look it up just to make sure I wasn't understanding it incorrectly. The hyphenation zone setting will have no effect on our specific example. Only non-justified text that is set with the Adobe Single Line Composer uses this setting. But just so you know, here's how it works. Here again I have two identical text frames, except that the one on the left has a hyphenation zone setting of half an inch, and the one on the right has a setting of one-quarter inch. With guides on, you can get an even clearer sense of the difference. What the hyphenation zone determines is how much space InDesign is allowed to leave between the end of any given line and the end of the column or text frame. It will use as much as, but no more than, the amount you set. With only one quarter inch available to it, the rag on the right column is much tighter, while the left column rags much more inconsistently because the half inch setting allows for twice as much space. And that's all there is to it. You have now mastered the hyphenation zone. Okay, back to our main example. Below all of these specified fields, there is a slider setting which InDesign will use to determine its preference for either better spacing or for fewer hyphens. I've already imposed a pretty strict hyphen limit of one, so that's going to limit how much this setting can do for me. But for what it's worth, I'll drag this slider nearly all the way over toward better spacing. I want to decide for myself whether or not to hyphenate capitalized words, and hyphenating the last word in a paragraph is always a bad idea, so I'm going to uncheck both of these options, click OK, and I'm done with my hyphenation settings. There's another adjustment to be made here that doesn't even require selecting the text itself. I can select the text frame with the selection tool, go up to the Type menu, and choose Story. This opens up what's probably the smallest palette in the entire application, one that has only one function and one setting related to that function, and that is Optical Margin Alignment. Because letter forms have such different shapes, a justified column can look uneven on the right and left sides depending on what letters are touching those margins. To make a justified column look more optically even, you actually have to push certain letter forms out of the column edges to create that even appearance. This is what optical margin alignment does. Why is it in a palette called Story? I haven't asked anyone at Adobe, but my best guess is that it's because optical margin alignment gets applied to every frame into which a story flows. So if you have a multi-page document, you don't have to apply it frame by frame. I'll check this option and turn it on, and since I have 9 point body copy, I'll set the Align Based on Size value also to 9. Now let's take a closer look at what this did for me. Notice the serif on the capital A in the first paragraph. It's actually poking outside of the frame, to bring the prominent edge of the letter form closer to the column margin. Look what happens when I add a quotation mark to this paragraph, and then when I add it to example one. The quotation mark in example 1 stays inside the frame and creates a bit of a hole that breaks up the uniformity of the column edge, but the optically aligned frame hangs the punctuation outside of the frame edge, keeping it nice and clean. The same goes for hyphens and other punctuation on the right side of each frame. Example 1 has all of its hyphens inside the frame, but example 2 pushes the hyphens out to keep the right margin optically consistent. Now let's go the lazy way, using tracking. If I select all of example 1 and simply apply negative tracking values to tighten it up, look at what we get. If anything, tracking makes these paragraphs look worse, especially the word spacing. I'll isolate a few examples that really stand out. Each of these lines have the exact same number of words in both Example 1 and Example 2. But look at how bad the word spacing is in Example 1. You could drive a truck through these spaces. And the letter spacing looks uncomfortably tight in contrast to that. In Example 2, everything is much more even. No letters are jammed together, and no word spaces draw a lot of attention to themselves. Let's do our blurry-eyed example again to compare the typographic color of these two examples now. See how spotty the gray value on the left is and how consistently even it is on the right? That's what you always want. Now, I did say at the very start that I was guilty of using tracking as a crutch, and you can see for yourself how, just by itself, and with the default justification and hyphenation values, tracking is not the method you want to use to control your type. But there are instances when you just need to cheat a short word that falls on the last line of a paragraph, and that's really what tracking was meant to do, a fast and overall tightening of text. There's nothing wrong with that when you need it and apply it properly, but it can become a bad habit, so you want to use tracking by exception, not as the rule. And speaking of exceptions, by not including tracking in your basic settings, you can take advantage of another InDesign feature to figure out if an editor or another designer is fiendishly tracking type behind your back when they work in your layouts. In your InDesign preferences, go to the composition options and you'll see a highlight area where you can choose to have InDesign always highlight text with certain characteristics, such as substitute fonts, which is on by default. You can also choose to highlight custom tracking and kerning by checking that box, and here's what we'll get. Example 1 is now clearly highlighted because it has tracking applied to all of it. But notice that there's no highlighting whatsoever in my gorgeous text on the right. If someone else adds tracking to any of this text, as I'm doing here now, this feature will alert me in a very obvious way. This feature reminds me of when they put the exploding canister of blue dye into the bag of money handed over to bank robbers. They might get out of the bank with the money, but when that canister goes off, they're going to draw a lot of attention to themselves. I like it because I can always quickly see if anyone, including myself, has track type. That certainly was a lot of ground to cover. No wonder this podcast is late. But, that's all for this episode. I do have one last reminder, however, before I go. I get a lot of questions about iPod-compatible formats for these videos. I've said it before and I'll say it again, I think these podcasts look horrible on a tiny 320x240 iPod video format. Take a look at this comparison. The iPod version is in the foreground, and the full-size version is in the background. I think that what I show on the screen is very difficult to see, especially in dialog boxes and palettes. But I also know that some people out there are willing to put up with that for the portability factor. So, since episode 17, I've been posting iPod-compatible versions of the podcast directly on the blog. Just go to www.theindesigner.com, look on the right-hand sidebar, and click either the Podcasts or Video category. In each post, there will be a text link to an iPod-compatible version. Just right-click on the PC or control click on the Mac to download the M4V file to your hard drive. You'll have to add it to your iTunes library yourself, but at least I've saved you the trouble of having to convert the video. Until next time, you can post comments and questions about this episode or any InDesign topic you like on the blog at www.theindesigner.com. You can send me an email to info at or look for me on AIM or iChat as The InDesigner. Until next time, this is Michael Murphy for The InDesigner Video Podcast. Thanks for watching.